Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of Movement Radio. I am Chip Hazard. And I'm Talon Williams. And ladies and gentlemen, we have another top 10 controversial documentaries episode for you today. Had a lot of pretty uh, cool reviews on the last one. They said, hey, you know, you talked about this documentary and this documentary. There was a couple of documentaries that you guys didn't talk about. So, as always, we did our research, did some sources, and we found yet another controversial documentaries uh, list from our good friends over at WatchMojo.com. And uh, we're going to be talking about yet another top 10 controversial documentaries. Uh, I thought the episode went over pretty good, considering we got a whole lot of good uh, feedback from it. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I mean, we, the first one was good. Um, oh, but, yeah. Uh, so, so, this, this, so this one should be pretty good as well. So uh, if you want to, let me, we can just go ahead and dive on into it if you want to, brother. Well, yeah, you know, uh, so um, a good documentary is supposed to teach you something that you didn't already know. Right. Uh, but, but what happens when filmmakers leave us with more questions than answers? Mm, definitely something that mm-hmm. we need to look into. Exactly. Yep. Um, so that that's where we get the the controversial documentaries from it's it's when these documentaries leave us with more questions than answers and you're like man i need a a part two to that or a part three or a part 677 right you know there's plenty of those out there if you're a docuseries and stuff like that um Uh, go ahead i I was gonna say um so so for this list uh we're gonna look back at non-fiction films infamous for the stir that they caused around their real life subjects. Yes, absolutely. So keep that in mind. This is around real life subjects. Yes, uh, it is a continuation of our first list, and hopefully you guys will enjoy this as well. Uh, we're going to actually kick it off with one tonight. Um, some of you guys might know this as an MTV reality series, but it was first a documentary from 2010, and it's called catfish now this documentary uh sensation followed nev a young photographer who after developing feelings for a girl that he met online travels to her home in rural michigan to learn that her idyllic family is all but the invention of a suppressed middle-aged woman living with her husband and her children uh the film had a major impact on pop culture for showing how easily people can craft false identities using social media and was even transformed like we said into an MTV reality series however nev and his filmmaker brother received criticism from viewers who believed that the story was a little bit fishy it even had morgan spurlock most notably from the uh, documentary supersize me went on to say and call it the best fake documentary he had ever witnessed. Uh, Chip, I, I know you know of the show Catfish on MTV. Uh, did you happen to catch the documentary, or did you know about the documentary beforehand? Uh, so, so actually, I, I did know about the documentary. Um, I, I tend to I, I watch a lot of documentaries. Yes, uh, and this is one that that um, it crossed my path. Um, and, uh, it was, it was okay, but it, it did seem very hokey. Right. Um, it kind of reminded me, um, of the Blair Witch Project where 
and what I mean, not not in the horror sense, but where the Blair Witch Project kind of created the, or not really created, but revolutionized the uh, the found film footage or found yeah. footage films, uh, and where it it definitely looked like a documentary, and but you once the 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 end of it comes it kind of you're like oh okay that that wasn't a documentary that was just a show that was just a movie right right so that's what this particular uh document documentary reminded me of yeah uh it even it, it's even become a coin of a term of phrase now when you turn uh-huh. it actually coined the term catfishing which is a the type of deceptive activity involving a person creating a real social network presence for nefarious purposes um now uh again i mean and it's it's one thing and people see it all the time i mean it's like first and foremost if you're there's an old saying believe half of what you see and none of what you hear you, you you've heard that saying before i'm sure right right this movie kind of encompasses that in a sense. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, whether or not the documentary was real or the documentary was fake, which I guess is the controversy in one in one perspective. But the, the other perspective is the fact that Nev believed that he was meeting this girl um, that he fell in love with through the Internet, which online relationships let's be honest they don't really work out the best which i can't say nothing i met my wife on myspace okay so i could have easily been a catfish but you know amy was real so praise god but you are a catfish well that's true that's just because of the whiskers on my face but that's a different story i'm growing them out i'm growing them out um that being said the um the idea behind it is to trick somebody, you know, and you see it a lot. Like I, I posted this a couple of months ago on my Facebook page because you know how sometimes the quote unquote fembots, the uh, the 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 robots uh, Facebook accounts will pop up with a pretty girl, you know. Oh, I I want to be your friend, or, or this person sends you a friend request, and it's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Mia Khalifa under an assumed name doesn't want to be my friend, so. Right. You know, so there's ways to detect it now. And and you got to be careful with some like I do think that it brought an awareness to how dangerous social media can be from the standpoint that maybe a young girl can see this nice guy on Facebook and say, "Okay, he's pretty cool. Maybe he starts chatting her up or whatever. And next, you know, he's luring her in. He she goes to meet up with him. Next thing you know, it's like a 45 year old pervert who could possibly harm you and then that becomes risky in and of itself and you have to be careful where you draw the line you know because i mean obviously i mean i don't believe i don't think i mean i mean more people younger than teenagers are using social media now uh which i think is scary enough i don't think anybody over their age of 18 should have a fucking social media account but whatever that's not me oh that's just me but the the fact that this this movie act, or this documentary actually had lawsuits filed against it as well. The film had been subject to two different lawsuits concerning songs used in the film without being uh, attributed to any of the creditors, and um, it was the, due to these lawsuits, the film will never be profitable. Um, so I guess that's the reason why they came up with the TV show so that uh, Nev and his uh, his friends can actually go and. Um, 
you know, you get other people who have been catfished in a sense. Uh, and the show Catfish is now on their eighth season. So, you know, and then and, and in 2020, they actually have the Catfish podcast now. So they have a podcast now that was they released their first episode back in November of 2020. Um, so, yeah, I mean, from from a, from from the outside looking in, I mean, in a sense, I look at it more as a precautionary tale as opposed to just a straight up documentary. Does that make sense? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that there's international versions of it, there's a Colombian version, a, a Brazilian version, a Mexico version, so many different versions because a lot of people do get quote unquote catfished on social media. And it actually led to something called the catfish effect, which the catfish effect is the effect of a strong competitor has a causing weakness. Okay. Wait, that's, is that the same thing? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it, it was derived from, um, it was derived from uh, the movie itself too. It says in Norway, okay, this is very strange. It says an increased level of activity, including sardines, instead of having them sand becoming catfish. Okay. So the guy in the movie, um, it's uh, the title reads in the film, Vince, the husband of the quote unquote catfish, relays the story of how when he would. When he when when live cod were shipped to Asia from North America, the fish inactively were in tanks, resulting in only musty, uh, fresh reaction uh, reacting their the destination. However, fishermen found that putting catfish in a tank with the cod kept them active and thus making the quality of the fish better. Vince then states that his wife Angela, who act as the catfish in the film, uh keeping the lives of those around her interesting the title of the film is based on this dialogue and it is where the term catfish came from so all right that's where it came from so but nevertheless um hopefully none of y'all out there been catfished if so then you know get a better social media presence or get you know nordvpn or some shit that being said though we're gonna go ahead and go on to the next one you got it bubba <laughs> you said get Nord VPN. <laughs> hey, well, hey, I'm not hey, sure that VPNs keep you from getting catfish. <laughs> well, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to sound a little bit more funny. I, I guess I failed in that. Perspective. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, All right. hopefully this next one. Hopefully this next one's. I don't know. This this next one might be a little bit worse off than catfish. But go ahead. Maybe. Uh, so next up, we're going to talk about uh, a documentary called 2016 Obama's America. Um, so while it's considered one of the highest grossing documentaries in the United States, the positive reception of 2016 Obama's America pretty much ends there. Uh, it is based on a book by right wing author Dinesh DeSauz. I'm not positive I'm saying that right, but we're going to go with it. Uh, okay. And the, and the movie claims that the president harbors anti-American sentiments inherited from his father, leading him to try and diminish the U.S.'s influence over the rest of the world. Inspired by the marketing of Fahrenheit 9-11 during the Bush administration, DeSouza released the film at a time when he believed he would deter those who were considering voting to re-elect President Obama. 
His ploy did not work, however, and the majority of audiences and critics recognized the film for what it really was, an attempt to character assassinate Barack Obama. Yeah, um, but basically this was in the same realm of Fahrenheit 9-11, uh, and it was released in 2012. Um, so obviously 2012, it was an election year. This was when uh, Barack Obama was running for re-election for president of the United States, and he was running against, I believe it was Mitt Romney, I think is who his uh, opponent was that was representing the uh, the uh, the Red Party. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, again, and, and like, I mean, just the synopsis of the whole thing um, was pretty much like how, oh, if you look toward, like, I mean... <laughs> Basically, describe it's it's basically a uh, DeSosa. I've I, I, I almost just say DeSosa because that's what it sounds like to me. Um, saying that it he on screen describing his own personal experience as an Indian immigrant immigrating to America as a student at Dartmouth College, and when he was an editor at a conservative magazine uh, policy review, pointing out the summaries between his life and Barack Obama's. Um, uh, basically, is that where the film claims that he is influenced by left-wing figures and his progression into the the intellectual um, is highlighted by his visit to Kenya. Uh, the film incorporates spoken words from Obama, Obama's audiobook dream dreams uh, uh, from my father. Basically the film warns that Obama being reelected for a second term and the ramifications will be far reaching and ends by stating the future is in your hands. Talking about, talking to the American people, um, in a sense. Um, now it got some pretty, if you go by uh, rotten tomato, which a lot, a lot of people go by rotten tomatoes reviews, yes. uh, the film was only rated 26% and the average rating was 4.1 out of 10 with a Metacritic giving it a 26 out of a hundred. Um, and it was generally unfavorable. Um, and a lot of people determined that to say, well, of course, the media's left wing biased and shit like that. But Fox News is more right than anybody, you know, as far as like major media out, as far as the major, major 24 hour news cycle uh, networks and things of that nature. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of understand where this uh, where this is coming from, from the standpoint that, you know, in 2016. Obama was that he he wasn't going to be in office anymore anyway because he was elected in tw in 2008 he got reelected in 2012 2016 he wasn't going to have because you can only serve two terms as a president correct every you know you, you can have eight years maximum you know 2016 that was when President Trump got elected or, or, or a former President Trump got elected so basically what this was and I think pretty much DeSono I I think he intentionally made it a <laughs> kind of like how Michael Moore did with Fahrenheit 9-11 during the Bush administration. He thought he would do the same thing to the Obama administration with this movie. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is. You can have your policies, you can have your beliefs, you can have your set of ideas. But to put them in a film and to lambast and quote-unquote what this place is, try character assassinating it just for the – I don't know if he did it for clout. I don't know if he did it because he wanted his political party to gain favor. I don't know. How you, how did you feel about this one? Uh, so it, it, I haven't seen it, but from everything that I, uh, have read and understand 
about it uh it's it's very much in the same vein as fahrenheit 911 uh and it, it was 100% designed to um take president trump down per se president um, Biden, I mean, president uh, obama uh, you mean I, that's what i'm sorry yeah uh, no, you good you good obama too many uh, damn presidents <laughs> What are we at? I'm like Cat Williams. 46 now, yeah. Can we just date a president? (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Let's just date a president for a while. Let's just just do our own thing. Can we just be single for a a minute? (laughs) Can we be single as a country? Uh, But yeah, so it it was definitely designed to... to, Now, I, I won't say it was designed to assassinate his character, but I, I think it was definitely designed to uh, bring his character into question. Right. Um, and it it completely backfired. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, it, it, <laughs> go ahead. It made a shit ton of money at the box office. Uh, I mean, it, it made thirty three point four million dollars at the box office. So, you know, people were flocking to see this, and it didn't deter anybody from uh, voting for uh, President Obama. So, right um, now, I mean, it was pretty popular in the sense that the budget for the film was only two point five million, and it grossed thirty three point four million at the box office. So, but let's just be honest: it was a forty nine minute political ad, is what it was. You know, some shit that you would see. You know, during election season and stuff like that, which we were in 2012, so obviously it was an election year. So, bam, they automatically want to go ahead and jump on that bandwagon. Um, But nevertheless, let's go to the very next one. This next one, oh boy, this shit will give you chills. This is the Iceman Tapes, Conversations with a Killer. This is from 1992. This bone-chilling HBO documentary centers around Richard Kalinske a prophetic mafia hitman who was nicknamed the Iceman for his trademark of freezing his victims' corpses to hide their time of death. The filmmakers were granted unprecedented access to the maximum security prison where Kalinsky was serving two consecutive life sentences. The murderer, who was depicted by Michael Shannon in the 2012 film The Iceman speaks candidly about his violent history and estimates that he has killed over a hundred people, admitting that he's never been bothered by it. Yeah. Um, do you know of Mr. Richard Kalinsky? I, I do. Uh, it, it, there was actually a second documentary um, that it, it was known as The Iceman Confesses Secrets of a Mafia Hitman which was also produced by HBO. Uh, And you kind of have to talk about one and the other at the same time. Yeah. Um, Because so the first one, Iceman tapes confession or conversations with a killer was filmed in 92. Uh, And then in 2001, a, a decade later, they, did the uh the Iceman confessions of a mafia hitman or or secrets of a mafia hitman uh it it's labeled as both uh where he goes even further into detail uh about 
you know the his times as his time as a a hitman and and everything. So uh, I would recommend I've I've seen both of these, uh, and I would recommend if you're going to watch one, uh, watch watch them both, but watch them in order. Uh, yeah. They're, yeah, um, they're really but, good, but they're they're, I I mean they're kind of bone chilling, to to be honest, um, because yeah. there's this guy and he's sitting there like stone faced, not a worry in the world, and he's like, yeah, I I did it, and you know I I don't really feel any remorse. It was kind of my job. This is what I was supposed to do, and all that. Yeah. And it's so for someone to be that cold hearted about it and be so cold blooded with it. Um, and, 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 and like I said, like what we said earlier, like, like HBO did a very, very now after years of silence, when it says that he spoke in the two interviews that were literally like what you said, almost decades apart, almost, almost a decade apart, one in 92 and one in 2001, you know, he was the top enforcer of the Gambino crime family. Uh-huh. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the Gambino crime family is one of the five families that dominated the organized crime activity in New York City, uh, which which and nationwide criminal uh, phenomenon, they were simply known as the American Mafia. And it was um, the, the Bonanno family, the Colombo family, the, uh, the Gambino family, the, the Genovese family and the, uh, the Lucides family. Um, and all of them, you know, had, had their, you know, and this is nothing that I'm, I'm, I'm not talking anything that people don't mean. Everything that I'm saying is all information that can be looked up. Um, so it's not like I'm giving away any secrets or anything. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he, he, he was the hired gun for Carlo uh, Gambino, of the crime of the Gambino crime family. Um, and it was, he from, I think from 19, I think it's from 1986 after a long investigation, Kalinsky was betrayed by quote, the other friend I didn't kill. And when interviewed serving his life sentences, just, I mean, literally gruesome. Like if you've ever seen the documentary, it is like what you said, man, it is bone chilling. Like you literally sit there and, there's some parts in it that like literally you're you, you feel your skin crawling is like cuz he describes it in such gory detail and he 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 talks as if he's almost like he's reminiscing a fond memory when he does it you know what i mean oh yeah oh, that's yeah, the, no. that that's the scary part now richard kalinsky is no longer Alive, he died on March fifth of two thousand and six at the age of seventy. Um, you know, and he, uh, you know, he, uh, he, like we said, he was convicted of five murders, five counts of murder, and he is con- and he's serving two consecutive life sentences. But those are just the five murders that he was convicted of. He did say that he had multiple, multiple um, murders, and here, here's one that was the murder of uh, of George uh, Maliban. On July 30th, 1980, Kalinsky killed George Maliban during a meeting to sell him tapes. Maliban was reportedly carrying $27,000 at the time. After a plea bargain, Kalinsky admitted to shooting him five times, explaining it was due to business. His body, 
uh, George uh, Maliban's body was discovered a week later on February 5th, 1980. Kalinsky had placed him in a 55-gallon drum and left it near the Chemitex chemical plant in New Jer- in Jersey City, New Jersey. He had to cut a tendon of his leg in order to fit the corpse inside the barrel. This was the first murder linked to Kalinsky, and Maliban's brother told police officers Maliban was meeting Kalinsky the day that he disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's more like the murder of Paul Huffman, the murder of Gary Smith, the murder of Dennis Draper, um, and then Louis uh, Masque's, uh discovery of the body who was later revealed that Kalinsky had something to do with that body as well. Um, so, yeah, and that's when he discovered that's when he had the name the Iceman because they would put, you know, a lot of the body, especially Louis Masque's body was covered in ice, partially frozen. That's where he came up with. That's where they gave him the name, the Iceman. Um, so, yeah, I mean, very, very disturbing stuff. Very, very disturbing content. If anybody looks that up, God bless you if you can sit all the way through it because it is. It, there's going to be moments that just makes your stomach turn, and it's 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 not good. But anyway, all right. So let's let's move on to the next one. This next one's going to be pretty interesting. You, especially for you being a Nirvana fan. So go ahead. Yes. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about a, a small little documentary called Kurt and Courtney. Uh, and it was released uh, only four years after the Nirvana frontman Kurt Cobain was found shot to death. This documentary rode a wave of controversy because it investigated theories that implied Courtney Love may have murdered her husband, Kurt Cobain. Uh, the film was pulled... Uh, by the festival as love refused to give director Nick Broomfield the rights to use Nirvana's music in the work. And because the whole musician threatened to sue the Sundance film festival for defamation of character, Broomfield was forced to use Nirvana esque bands and was so impacted by love's refusal to take part in the documentary that it evolved into a criticism of her censorship of free speech. Yeah. Um, and we had talked about this on the, uh, music conspiracy theory episode, um, where, uh, you know, where a lot of people believe that Courtney love had something to do with Kurt Cobain's death. Um, I still think she did. But, I, I, mean, I think she had something to do with it too, because you can neither here nor there. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, hold on a second. You mean, tell me he used a shotgun to kill himself and his head was still attached to his body. Come on now. Don't <laughs> come on. Let's, let's be honest. He, he used a, a long barreled shotgun. Right. To, to blow his head off without actually blowing his head off or having arms long enough to pull the trigger the way it was laid on his body. Um, but yeah. yeah, that's the conspiracy theorist in me talking. Um, and right. it, I will go down rabbit holes that people <laughs> didn't even know rabbit or, or in places that people didn't even know rabbits existed. 
Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So, so the film concludes with uh, Broomfield, the director, taking the stage at the ACLU meeting where Love is a is a guest speaker to publicly question Love about her attempt to suppress free speech and the irony, excuse me, of her representing the ACLU. And he was pulled from the stage by Danny Goldberg, uh, which was Kurt Cobain's former manager. Um, and uh, I mean, basically, the, the, the film, basically, the synopsis of it is, is that the film begins with the recap of Kurt Cobain's death and the media coverage that followed it. Broomfield uh, then interviews uh, Co- uh, Kurt's aunt, uh, Mari, who helped his love for music when he was a child. And the interview is followed up with several of, of friends, school teachers who, you know, Kurt. So basically it was kind of like, you know, like, almost like a, a retrospective of Kurt Cobain's life prior to his relationship with Courtney Love. Uh, it says the film also includes interviews from a Portland drug culture celeb and former stripper, Amy Squire, about her explicit and personal knowledge of Kurt and Courtney's heroin use in an interview that uh, she did. Um, and then there was also the the mentor singer El Deuce, a uh, real name uh, Eldon Wayne Hoke, who claimed that Love offered him fifty thousand dollars to kill Kurt Cobain. Uh, he also claimed in the film that he knew who killed Kurt, but he said that he would let the FBI catch him. Uh, two days after the interview was filmed, he was killed when he was hit by a train. Uh, yep. See, yeah. there's. Uh, was he killed or was he thrown in front of that train? <laughs> yeah. Again, right. there's the conspiracy theorist in me. Right. Uh, well, yeah. Well, and another thing though, is that like, you know, Broomfield uh, also showed in an interview that Al Bowen, a minor Hollywood promoter, along with Norm uh, Lubo, who used an alias, Jack Briggs, both introduced uh, Broomberg to Hulk. Uh, the interview was also an the the film was also an interview with a uh, musician and former friend of Kurt Cobain's, uh, Dylan Carlson, who, if many of you know Dylan Carlson, he was he's an American musician best known as being the founder of the uh, metal post punk band Earth, and he was a major contributor to the solo project Mr. Carlson, uh, uh, Doctor Carlson uh, album, um, but he he had brought the shotgun that Kurt, uh, that Kurt eventually used to quote unquote kill himself. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, it was an alleged conspiracy in the film, you know, turned the investigation to Courtney love, um, including the film of phones calls from MTV saying that they were pulling out of, you know, financing the film, which was, you know, com- completed thanks to the financing, uh, from private investors at the BBC, uh, Due to love saying, you know, like, you know, you don't need to do this, blah, 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 blah. You know, this is, you know, love basically threatened them with lawsuits and stuff like that. Um, But, yeah, I mean, this is one of those things. And there was another docu, it was another docu-series, and it was more of a docu-drama, really. Uh, it was it was, it was was a, a docu-drama called Soaked in Bleach, um, where it was kind of along the same vein only you kind of like got it, it's kind of seen it like acted out in real life almost kind of a kind of a thing right um which a 20 gauge Remington model 11 no that that <laughs> that shotgun yeah if you got hit with that shotgun with a 20 gauge but with, with 20 gauge bullet 20 gauge shotguns or 20 bore that would leave your body at least your face 
unidentifiable. I don't understand how people can think that, like, I'm convinced Kurt Cobain did. Like, I don't know who killed Kurt Cobain. I don't know who, who, uh, set it up if it was Courtney if he if she had anything to do with it I know one thing he, that man did not kill himself he couldn't have killed himself because if he had killed himself with the shotgun like everybody says he is his head would be in 17 pieces across his bedroom across his living room floor I mean that's just that's just it yeah I there's no, no other way around that I don't believe that he um shot himself but you know uh the case is it's been closed. It's been noted, or it's been, um, um, it's been listed as a suicide. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. And and there there actually is a um. Uh, a lady, uh, Carol. Chasky, uh, she's a forensic linguist, and she agrees with the official suicide verdict. Uh, she was as well among the experts shown in the docudrama Soaked in Bleach. And on October 9th, 2017, she was interviewed at the NBC News affiliate House of Mystery radio show, stating that her results do not support the conspiracy theory that Courtney Love authored the bottom portion to make it look like a suicide note. She ran Kurt Cobain's suicide note through a computational software called Snare Suicide Note Awareness Review, and it was classified as a suicide note. The top portion and bottom portion matched in handwriting. Well, Just there you go. Matched in handwriting doesn't mean that it was his handwriting, right? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I, no, I agree, I agree. All right, so let's go ahead and let's jump to the very next one because we'll be on this one for days uh, if, I, if we don't. Yeah, I want to do a whole episode on um, the, the uh, Kurt and Courtney situation. Yeah, we we we'll get to that. Let's let, let's let's get Roger back on the program because I know he said he wanted to talk about it too. Yes. Um which, you know, shout out to you Roger, man. We'll be, hopefully you'll be back with us soon. Uh that being said, let's go to the very next episode, oh, the next episode, the next documentary we're going to talk about and this is called The Thin Blue Line. This is from 1980. Frequently cited as one of the most important documentaries ever made, uh Elroy Morris uh, wanted to avoid the label altogether and market his film as a quote-unquote whodunit. Using innovative re, uh, reenactments and interview techniques, the film investigates the case of Randall Dale Adams, a man sentenced to death for murdering a police officer. However, the thin blue line suggests that five of the witnesses committed perjury, and law enforcement officials took notice by reopening the case and declaring Adams innocent just a year after the film was released. Although Adams was grateful for getting to go free, he went on to sue Morris for the rights to his own story and settled with the filmmaker out of court. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, thanks for getting me out, buddy. Give me my money. <laughs> you know. Um, um. Yeah, um, so I remember hearing about this. I've never seen it, but you know, um, the, the the guy was known as Dr. Death. Yes. Um, 
and uh, I know it, it's the the film is centered around inconsistencies uh, and loose ends of the the case, uh, but I, I just. I, I don't know much about it. Um, right. Well, let me give you let me give you a little bit of background. So prior to the conception of the Thin Blue Line, uh, Morris originally planned to film a documentary about uh, the pros- uh, about the um, prosecution therapist uh, Dr. James uh, Grigson, otherwise known as Dr. Death, who testified in more than a hundred trials and resulted in death sentences. As an expert psychiat- psychology or psychiatrist. Dr. Grigson made a name for himself by giving testimony in capital cases for the prosecution. Under the law of Texas, the death penalty can only be issued if a jury is convinced that the defendant is not just guilty but will commit violent crimes in the future if not put to death. In almost every instance, Dr. Grigson would... After examining the defendant, testified that he would find that that he had found the individual in question to be an incurable sociopath who had a 100% certain who was 100% certain that he would kill again. In pursuit of this idea, Morris sought and received funding for an initial project from the Public Broadcasting Service. Using this grant, Morris said uh, Morris was able to initially interview Grigson. During the interview, Grigson suggested that Morris had that his research should begin with all the inmates had testified with all the inmates that had testified in court. It was during this preliminary research that Morris met Randall Dale Adams and learned of his case. Grigson had told the jury that Adams would be an ongoing menace to keep if kept alive. But Morris, after meeting Adams, became skeptical that he would that he would commit a crime. Morris later chose to refocus his research uh, efforts into the investigation of on the circumstances of Randall Dell Adams conviction. Grigson does not appear once in the final cut of the movie. So it went from basically being about. James Grigson to now being about um, Randall Dell Adams and his case, you know. Uh, right. So, and it was, I mean, they said that the film used dramatic reenactments, uh, a composed score, interview testimonies that took place, uh, you know, as an, as instead of, instead of narration, they just use interview testimony. So, you know, so, and right away, I mean, you could tell that, you know, yes, you could tell that it was a reenactment, but, I mean, is it more of a documentary film or is it more of a reenactment? You know, because um, I mean, but you, I guess you could still tell the story in a in a pseudo in a pseudo documentary way. Like maybe I, w- I won't say a faux documentary because I mean there there is it was there was real implications behind it, but maybe it was one of you know maybe we need to you know. Because we don't have like maybe maybe we can't talk to certain people. Maybe we can do this and tell the story of Randall Adams and figure out like you know because Randall Adams was sent to twelve years in prison before his conviction for his conviction of a of the murder of a uh, Dallas police officer was thrown out largely on the basis of evidence being uncovered in, throughout the film. So had the film not been made, then. Uh, Mr. Adams would still be in prison. Okay. Yeah. That's that's interesting. 
Yeah, um, and, and believe it or not, Randall Dale Adams actually has a Wikipedia page. Um, it says here that um, it says, and, and unfortunately, the man did pass away October thirtieth, twenty ten. He says that he was an American who was wrongfully convicted on November twenty eighth, nineteen seventy six, uh, for the murder of a Dallas, uh, Texas police officer, Robert W. Woods, and sentenced to death. His conviction was overturned in nineteen eighty nine, uh, due in large part to the film The Thin Blue Line, which is cited as the uh, which is cited being instrumental in his exoneration the following year. So. You know, and he he was. It says in two. It said okay, okay. Hold on a second. It says here. It says during the interview with uh, Harris, Harris was able to record audio of him giving a pseudo confession to, to the Woods murder. Okay, hold on a second. I, I read that wrong. Hold on a second. So he uncovered evidence of uh, pro- prosecutorial misconduct. For those of you who don't know, it means an an illegal act or falling failing to act on part of the prosecutor, especially in an attempt to sway the jury to wrongfully convict a defendant or impose a harsher or uh, or harsher than appropriate punishment. So, and of course the, the Texas Supreme, uh, the Texas court of, of criminal appeals, um, they, uh, they, they, they tried to, 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 to retry it and they said that they couldn't retry it. You can't be convicted of the same crime twice. It's double jeopardy. Right. Um, so he was convicted in 1997. He was overturned in 1989. Um, you know, uh, he was his, his death was supposed to be by lethal injection, um, but it did. It, you know, unfortunately, that didn't happen. But he was able to get out of prison and enjoy life from 1989 up until 19. I'm sorry, up until 2010, where he died at 61 years of age. So had a, he he died of a brain tumor in uh, 2010. Oh wow, so, yeah, but. At least he died a free man and he didn't die in prison. So, right. There you go. All right. That being said, that is the thin blue line. Let's go jump to the next one. This next one, whoo boy, this could cause some controversy. Go ahead, Bubba. It, it, it probably will cause some controversy. Please don't uh, sue us. Please don't sue us. We, we ain't got shit. Don't sue us. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, next up, we're going to talk about a documentary called Going Clear Scientology and the Prison of Belief. Now, it should come as no surprise that this HBO documentary went under fire for attempting to cover one of the most secretive organizations in the United States, the Church of Scientology. In Going Clear, director Alex Gibney speaks with eight former Scientologists, including filmmaker Paul Haggis, to bring to light the manipulative tactics used by figures like founder L. Ron Hubbard and current church leader David Miscavige, uh, as well as celebrity Scientology scandals like the alleged wiretapping attempt of Nicole Kidman when she was with Tom Cruise. Uh, The film faced a mix of festival praise and viewer backlash including a twitter account dedicated to disparaging the documentary and some networks have refused to license it for fear of being attacked by the church yeah yeah because yeah, i mean don't, don't don't get me wrong i have i mean this is my thing believe what you want to believe if you believe in the church of scientology if that's the the the, the faith that you choose you know, 
do you, boo-boo? You know, all I do is pray for you. Um, now, Scientology did have a reaction to this. Um, it says, 10 days before the film's premiere, the Church of Scientology took out a full-page advertisement in the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times to denounce the movie Going Clear, comparing it to... Oh, wow. Comparing it to a story, A Rape on Campus, published by Rolling Stone magazine. Um uh, it says that Gibney subsequently said that he was grateful for the church's advertising as it had um, attracted much more publicity to the film. He only wished that they would have put in the showtimes. Wow, okay. Uh, the head of HBO Documentary Films, uh, Sheila Nevins, uh, commented that when she saw the advertisement, she knew that Going Clear was going to be a big success, where she said, quote, Docs don't get full-page ads, and when they do, they do very, very well. The church also published a quote-unquote special report attacking the film on one of its websites, starting like what you said previously, Chip, with the, twi with the new Twitter account, which claimed to uh, taking an, a resolved stand against broadcasting publishing this quote-unquote false information and brought numerous ads from Google's uh, search results relating to the film in order to direct re, uh, searchers to its quote-unquote anti-going-clear pages. Additionally, the church posted a series of short films on its website attacking the filmmaker and the interviewees with such taglines as Alex Gibney documentary going-clear propaganda, Marty Rathbun's a violent psychopath, Mike Rinder a wife-beater, Sarah Goldberg a house a homewrecker, and Paul Higgins the hypocrite of Hollywood. The church complained that Gibney had declined an interview twenty had declined to interview twenty five of its members whom had it put forward to him. According to Gibney, uh, Muscovich, uh, John Travolta, and Tom Cruise all declined interviews for the documentary. Instead, the church offered a delegation of twenty five unidentified individuals, presumably to swear to to swear the film in the in their favor which did not interest him. The church also denounced the film's interviewees as the casual collective of ob 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 obsessive, disgruntled former church members kicked out as long as, th as long as 30 years ago for malfeasance who have a docute history of making up lies about the church for money. So that being said, how are you, how are you feeling about this particular one? Um, I mean, it, uh, I'm trying to choose my words wisely, um, because I don't want to step on anybody's religion. Right. Um, and I don't know a ton about the religion of Scientology, um, uh, what I do know about Scientology is that uh, they believe that a human is an immortal spiritual being that is resident in a physical body um, and that that spiritual being known as the Thetan has an innumerable or has had innumerable past lives, uh, and it is observed in advanced Scientology texts that lives preceding the Thetans' arrival on Earth were lived in extraterrestrial cultures. 
Um, so it's I, like I, again, I don't know a whole lot about it. I know that the guy who created it, uh, L. Ron Hubbard, um, is a well-known science fiction and fantasy author, um, and it seems like he 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 fashioned this religion around science fiction and fantasy um so that yeah that's what it seems I, like to me i think that it would be an interesting watch just to to possibly get more information on scientology yeah um now there had i mean there have been plenty of documentaries uh that made i think uh, there was one there was one it was a series that actually came on a and e um i'm trying to think of it i think leah remy was the one who uh in fact, yeah leah remy um she uh for those who don't know leah remy was uh um, she played Carrie Hefferman on the uh, CBS sitcom uh, The King of Queens, uh, along alongside uh, Kevin James, and she was also in uh, Kevin Can Wait, the uh, the, the kind of like the the the, the, uh, the uh, predecessor sitcom to it. Um, and she was in Scientology uh, for a little while that she left. Uh, and the, in fact, there was an A an A and E. Um, documentary docuseries called Leah Remy uh, Scientology and the Aftermath um, and it had four seasons on A&E which really had three seasons then it had a special uh, which, which which was August 26th of 2019 um, where they would basically talk about talk to different people who had left um, who had left the religion and um, and uh, decided, you know, that they wanted to tell their stories, and every single um, episode, uh, there would always be a disclaimer uh, in front of the program, um, and it would talk about how, you know, that that the, that the, the producers and executive producers and stuff like that would reach out to um, the Church of Scientology to get a statement from them. Um, but they never reciprocate. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was, it was one of those, it was one of those things where it was like, you know, how well do you really know? I mean, cause people for the, for the most part, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go like, like what, what, well, let me see if I can find it. Okay. Here's what it is. It said the church of Scientology was critical of the series prior to every broadcast. It issued a 53 word statement attacking Leah Remy. Uh, it says the church statement alleged that she was spreading lies about the Church of Scientology among the claims that former Scientologists who participated in the show were kicked out of the religion. Um, at the start of each segment, statements appeared on the screen describing the church's dispute for the material present and its refusal to participate in the series. Excerpts from the letter written by the church attacking the celebrities that Remy were uh, and the interview subjects are also displayed and read in a move that describes an attempt to appease the notoriety of the church. Uh, so, you know, and a lot of people looked at it from like, there was actually a, um, a petition on change.com calling for a and E to cancel the show 
because claiming that it was a it was a hate show. Someone said, you know, well, if you did this to, you know, people who were Muslim or Christians or people like that, like, I mean, there would be a big uproar and blah, 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 and things of that nature. Um, you know, which, again, you don't want to step on anybody's, you know, personal beliefs or religious beliefs. Although, as much as my, 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 my thing about that is this, is that if one person, two people have a bad experience, then it's like, Okay, it was just their experience. But when you have like hundreds of people giving you different experiences are kind of like all in the same vein, like because of violent acts and threats against threatening, you know, people in the church threatening and stuff and stuff like that. Like, I mean, because we just had the whole thing with the with the with the uh, with the Catholic Church and, you know, scandals there, you know, I mean. Do the science? Do the does the Church of Scientology believe that they are immune to any type of prosecution or any type of scrutiny just because they are a religion? All, I mean, here's the thing: all religion gets scrutinized, regardless of what your faith is. You you're going to get scrutinized by somebody at some point. You know that? I mean, that's just that's just the way the world is, right? So. So we go from talking about a very, very, uh, a very, very um, controversial religion to a very, very controversial film that, oh boy, <laughs> I need to be careful with this one as well. Yeah. This this documentary is called Citizen Four, and it was released back in 2014. This Academy Award winning documentary captures the top secret political disclosure between filmmaker Laura uh, Poitras and and CIA whistleblower Edward Snowden set predominantly in a Chinese hotel room in the moments after the former CIA employee unveiled the NSA spying scandal to the world the film chronicles Snowden simultaneously trans transfer the simultaneous transformation into a heroic household name and an enemy to the United States government in real time but he wasn't the only one to become an enemy Laura uh, Poitras was forced to move to Germany to finish editing the film before broader before border detainment and threats that the FBI would seize her laptop. And the producers were sued by oil executive Horace Edwards on behalf of the American people, although the case was later dropped. Why it was dropped, we don't know. Um, but yeah, this was the one that kind of got the, the ball rolling in terms of the NSA and, you know, government surveillance and things of that nature. Uh, Edward Snowden has been uh, the one kind of at the forefront of, you know, disclosing information about global surveillance programs, uh, many ran by the CIA and uh, the Five Eyes uh, intelligence uh, agencies from Australia, Canada, New Zealand, the United Kingdom and the, and the United States. Uh, again, this is all, this is all stuff I'm reading on Wikipedia. I have no inside information. Please don't come and kill me. Um, <laughs> I, I, hey, listen, I'm just putting it all out there. Um, now, early in 2016, Snowden became the president of the Freedom of the Press Foundation, a San Francisco-based nonprofit organization that aims to protect journalists from hacking and government surveillance. He also has a job at an unnamed Russian IT company in 2017. He okay, he, that, that's personal shit. It says on September 2nd, 2020, a U.S. federal court ruled in U.S. versus Molin 
that the U.S. intelligence mass surveillance program exposed by Snowden was illegal and possibly unconstitutional. So, in a sense, you know, he he tried his he he, he tried to you know he he was pretty much a whistleblower to you know you know to, to all my, how how do you feel about this one particularly? Um, so Edward Snowden dropped a lot, a lot of highly classified information that people suspected was going on, uh, but had no, um, No, what's no the like word? not like no like hard concrete evidence. Ev- yeah concrete yeah. evidence yeah until this happened, um you know he was in the middle of traveling, uh to Russia when his passport was revoked, and he spent uh, an entire month living in the um the airport there in Moscow um, because when they canceled his passport, he wasn't allowed to enter the country of Russia, but he also was not allowed to get on a plane to come back to America. Now he has since been given the uh, right of asylum uh, in Russia. uh, And just, just last year, uh, just a little over a year ago, he was granted permanent residency in Russia. So he's now a, a Russian um, citizen. Right. Um, and they are not going to release him. Like, there's no... What's the right word? I, I'm sorry. I, I keep... I'm looking for a certain word, uh, extradition. Yeah. Extradite. Uh, yep. Uh, so, so they're not going to extradite him because there is no extradition laws between, um, Russia and America. Like there is with America and Mexico. Like some, if you go down to Mexico and try to hide out and, and they find you there, they'll extradite you back to America yeah. for you to be tried. Uh, yeah, and then there's some countries that won't extradite a national under any right. circumstances, um, but yeah, uh, and um, the, I mean it got it. I mean it got a whole lot of it got to the point to where in 2016 there was a movie called Snowden, um, which was a movie that was which which, which it's classified as a a biographical thriller, uh, it, and uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt. Yeah, Joseph Gordon Levin played. Uh, Edward Snowden in the movie, um, which uh, which I didn't find out until after reading this. And that was a 2016. Yeah, it was 2016. Uh, oh, wow. He's going to be in Pinocchio. Yeah. Pinocchio. But, yeah. Pinocchio. He's playing the voice of Jim of uh, Jiminy Cricket. Sweet. But the um, that that movie Snowden, it was. really Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you think, OK, how much how how. How accurate is the movie comparable to the original documentary uh, Citizen Four? Would would you say that it's that it was pretty accurate, a damn near close to it? You know, I'm sure they had to do some 
extra stuff to kind of make the the plot come together and things of that nature. Oh, I'm I'm positive there was some um, some liberties taken by the film company uh, with the George, Joseph Gordon Levitt uh, film on Snowden. I'm sure there was some some uh, liberties taken. Oh, of course, yeah, because you don't want to go too far into the woods, and then it's like, well, shit, here we go. <laughs> All right, so that being said, though, uh, let's move on to the next one. You got it? Yes, I do. Um, Thought I lost that, you for a second. <laughs> nope, I'm here. I was in the middle of taking a drink. There you go. Uh, so next up, we're going to talk about the uh, 2004 documentary, you may or may not have seen it, uh, but it created a, a ton of controversy. Yes, sur- surrounding McDonald's. Um, and if you haven't caught on yet, we're talking about the the documentary "Super Size Me." Yeah, uh, Morgan Spurlock became a world renowned documentarian. After his experiment in extreme eating, Spurtlock spent a month, an entire month, consuming only food that could be purchased from the McDonald's menu, exposing the link between fast food, uh, fast food chain and health effects, including obesity and heart disease. It was an eye-opening study of a mega corporation that actually wanted its customers to eat poorly in order to gain profit. But Spurlock still got some flack for being the bearer of bad news. Critics noted that he singled out McDonald's uh, over eight and didn't exercise to exaggerate his results. Still, there's no saying the film wasn't the catalyst in getting apple slices added to the menu. Um, them apple slices are not good. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> they're not. Them apple slices at McDonald's are fucking disgusting. Yeah. Sorry, they are. Uh, um, my kids love apples, and they will not eat the fucking apple slices from McDonald's. No, nah, they won't. Yeah, talk about unhealthy. No, no. The, uh, the, 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 did, you, did you ever hear the rumor that instead of salt, they put sugar on top of the fries? Instead of uh, salt, did you ever hear that? Did you ever hear that old, that conspiracy theory? I've heard that. I've heard that rumor, and I can tell you that is false. That they is false. Salt. I, yeah, I used to work at McDonald's. Trust me, they use salt. Yeah, nasty ass salt. But yeah, um, but yeah. Um. So, did you watch the documentary Super Size Me? <laughs> I have seen the documentary. Uh, and it it it's very telling, but also, um, like. Like they said, critics uh, singled it out, or uh, critics have stated that he singled out McDonald's, uh, and he he did. I won't say that he overate a ton, but I mean, like he didn't work out or anything during this documentary. So yeah, you can like you can eat McDonald's every day, and and still like not gain a lot of weight. Uh, right. But I, he definitely went about this um, a, a really weird and different way. Uh, but now he, he, this documentary is the reason why uh, 
the the menu at McDonald's was changed. You know, used to you could be able to get supersized drinks and uh, fries and everything, and then, and then they cut that out. Uh, right. And it was 100% because of this documentary. Um, now, he did consume uh, the equivalent of nine and a half Big Macs a day for 30 days. Right. But that, but that's the thing. Like, like you could have been, I mean, if you wanted to do something on the, on the fast food industry, you know, and again, and I'm going to go into multiple uh, directions here. So please forgive me if I'm taking my, my, my time, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's McDonald's obviously, which McDonald's is the king of fast food, you know, burgers and shit like that. But I think what about, would, uh, well, but what I'm saying is that in terms of popularity, <laughs> no, 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 I agree with you 100%. I'd rather have Burger King than McDonald's, honestly, but you got McDonald's. But why didn't you do the same thing for Burger King? Why didn't you do the same thing for Wendy's? Why don't you do the same thing for other fast food? Not just even stuff like burgers. Like, why don't you do one on like Chick-fil-A or why don't you do one on KFC or Arby's or Subway? Like, I mean, there's so many different fast food places that you could have, you know, you could have done a, you could have done something on the whole entire fast food industry instead you specifically singled out mcdonald's um and if you deliberately overeat then then obviously yeah you're going to especially like we say if you don't exercise and don't take care of yourself you know like i mean you can make all the claims that you want like okay well well this is what's happening and this is why you know is here's the thing about fast food places though like they pop up everywhere that a city is developing and stuff, you know. Yes, the majority of the food is kind of disgusting and it is bad for you calorically. It's not it's not that expensive to to make, it's not that expensive to buy. And the part that I think a lot of people what brings people to fast food is the fact that it's convenient. You don't even have to get out of your fucking car. You could just go hit the drive-through, you know. And and, right. and look, and I'm a victim of it. Like there have been plenty of times I would leave, I'd leave a wrestling show at like midnight or something, and I got a, like an hour and a half drive back. And what's open at midnight if you're going through a town? You know what I mean? Like like if I'm leaving, if I, go ahead. You got McDonald's or Waffle House. McDonald's, Waffle House. If you're lucky, you'll get a Burger King. If you're lucky, if you're very lucky, you'll find. A Wendy's that might still be open. If you're very, very lucky, you'll find a Taco Bell. But you know, I mean, yeah, because I mean, I, I'd be leaving Canton or something, and then you go down that one road on Mary. You know, you leave him, you, you get off on Marietta Road, and you get on that one side street. There's a there's a, and, oh yeah, and if you don't want fast food, guess what? There's always a gas station. You can go to that gas station, get you some beef jerky or some uh, or some taquitos. Or whatever, but no, you don't eat. It's it's hard to eat healthy. It's hard to eat healthy. Period. Let alone being on the road. But for the most part, I mean, it is convenient. Like you don't have to get out of your car. You can just hit, get it, and go. But like, I don't know. Like for me, like, and and I, I was thinking about this too. Like, can you imagine how much money he spent buying nothing but McDonald's breakfast, lunch, and dinner for thirty straight days? I mean. In that, 2004, I don't money. think they even had. A, yeah, I don't think they had a dollar menu in 2004. I don't know, but that's more money than I'm willing to spend on fast food. Um, now there was 
a uh, a sequel to this um, called there was? Super, yep, called Super Size Me Two Holy Chicken. Uh, now this came out in 2017, uh, and I have not seen this one. Although I didn't even know about it. I, although I need to. So um, this actually explores the ways in which the fast food industry has rebranded itself as health has as a healthier alternative since his original film came out um okay yeah uh and he it, it says that since his original film through the process of Spurlock working to open his own fast food restaurant, thus exposing some of the ways in which rebranding is more perception than reality. Uh, the plot says, um, after consulting with CCD Innovations as a business model, Spurlock discovers that the big chicken industry has made it hard to purchase live chickens to raise on a chicken farm. Okay. Uh, so so it's basically super size me, but it's about chickens, basically. Well, right. Uh, it, it says that he learns that the five major chicken producers are Tyson Foods, mm-hmm. Pilgrim's Pride. Yeah, which we have here in Chattanooga. Sanderson Farms. Mm-hmm. Cook Foods. Which we also have in Chattanooga. We got two damn chicken factories in Chattanooga. Uh, and Purdue Farms. Wow. Uh, so this is actually on my list. I, I just added it to to my list of uh, documentaries to watch. Right. So yeah, yeah, I'm definitely gonna have to check it out. I got there's a lot of documentaries that I haven't checked out yet. Like, I mean, if you go to YouTube's got some cool documentaries. Um, Hulu's got Hulu's got a bunch of documentaries that I want to watch. Um, I actually watch, I talked about it on the last episode of Watch the the Glitch in the Matrix, mm-hmm. uh, which is about you know the the possibility of us living in a simulation. That's a whole another conversation, <laughs> but. But yeah, but yeah, but, but yeah, but, but, and also from, I mean, the fact that, you know, you could, and it says right here, it says, when it says, I talked about his body mass index, which body mass index is, is a bunch of shit, in my opinion, um, because it's not based, it's only, it's based on an old algorithm from the 1920s or some bullshit. Um, although, you know, and, and a lot of people is like, well, if you don't, you know, here's the thing. Sometimes you have to eat McDonald's if you're on the road. It's like when you start, you either starve to death or you just go get your McDouble, you know, or McGangbang right. or whatever it is. So, but I mean, I, I think, I think what it mainly kind of boiled down to was it's okay to eat it. It's not okay to like make it like a part of your daily life. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but then again, you eat anything for hell. You can eat candy every single day. And when your teeth rot out, hey, <laughs> whose fault's this? Oh, what's the candy companies? Well, they put too much sugar in the candy. Let's expose it. Like, no, you knew that the candy was sweet. You knew the candy was going to affect your teeth either way. Shouldn't ate so much of it. But that's a different story for a different time. <sighs> the next documentary. You ready for this one? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ. Um, uh, speaking of Jesus Christ, this upcoming uh, documentary we're fixing to talk about is a documentary called Jesus Camp. 
Um, now, I'm not talking about vacation Bible school or anything like that or Sunday school or anything like that. It says here in this documentary, it says the Kids on Fire School of Ministry summer camp was the subject of this documentary that zeroes in on the three highly indoctrinated evangelical Christian children. Although the directors claimed they were merely trying to produce an unbiased movie about the campers and their beliefs, scenes of the children attending aggressive sermons were denounced by faith-based groups who believed that, that, that the camp was cast in a negative light. Whether it was the filmmaker's agenda or not, the same year Jesus Camp was released, head pastor Becky Fitcher uh, announced the camp's disclosure over fear that the movie's viewers would vandalize their property. Not to mention the anti-gay pastor Ted Haggard, who was later involved in a scandal involving sex with other men. Oh boy. So, and listen, I'm I'm all for people believing what they want to believe, worshiping the way that they want to worship, however they want to do it. Um, you know, and, and I do feel like there's, I do feel like there's certain levels to worship, you know, like there, there, I mean, there, you know, there's, you know, traditional worship, there's, you know, um, there's more contemporary worship, you know, there, there's different types of worship. Like there are some people who don't believe in rock music. There's other people who, use rock music to praise God and, and things of that nature. Um, I do think like, I mean, cause it, 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 I think it was controversial, controversial due to the fact that it, it, it was like, you're putting a lot on children. Um, you know, not to say that you're, I mean, it's one thing to raise a child to love God. It's another thing to like force it down their throat at a young age. Does that make sense? Yes. You know, have you heard of this movie? What do you think about it? Uh, I have not heard or I've heard of, but I have not seen. Um, I've not seen it. Um, I, I, I do know that um, it's about uh, the that Christian summer camp where children spend their summers being taught that they have prophetic gifts and can take back America for Christ. Uh, and according to the distributor, it doesn't come with any prepackaged point of view and attempts to be an honest and impartial depiction of one faction of the evangelical Christian community. Um, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, well, but like I said, I mean, the evangelical you know, evangelicalism, you know, it can be, I mean, because, I mean, because there's, there's different types of Christians. There's fundamental Christians, uh, and, you know, there, and there's different subsets of Christianity. You've got Catholics who are a subset, who's, that are subsets of Christianity. There's, you know, there's, you know, like I was, like me, per, like me, I was raised Baptist, you know. I know other people who were raised Church of God, other people that was raised Holiness, other people who was raised Church of Christ, you know, and there's little differences 
within and even there's differences within the differences like 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 what well, you say well I'm a baptist okay well what what kind of baptist are you a southern baptist are you an independent baptist are you are you a, are you a, a reformed baptist are you an evangelical baptist like then there's so many different subsets and I'm sitting there like I, I just love Jesus. I, I mean, I mean, if, I mean, if you want to label me, fine. I'm an independent Baptist. I, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I mean, that's what I, that's what I quote unquote label myself. But you know, I, that's just, that's just if, 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 if you take all of my beliefs into account, that's kind of what I am. Um, you know, you know, I love Jesus, but you know, I, I cuss a lot. But you know, that's why I say I'm a progress. Um, that being said, though, it did get some notoriety, and it was nominated for Best Documentary Series at the at the 75th uh, Academy Awards. Um, I believe it got beat out. Let me go down here. It got beat out by The Inconvenient Truth, which was a – oh, thank you, babe um, – which was by um, – uh, it was it was uh for it was from it was Al I think it was that Al Gore documentary. Does that make do you remember that one? Uh yes. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. It was it was also not it was uh Iraq in Fragments was another documentary uh that was nominated the same year. Um it was about uh, the about, about the war in Iraq. Uh My Country, My Country, which was a documentary by Laura uh uh Poitras, who also directed the, um, who also directed the, uh, the 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 documentary we just talked about, Citizen Four, and Deliver Us from Evil, which was an American documentary that was based around the um, the uh, Catholic Church uh, um, uh, sex scandal. Um, but nevertheless, I mean, yeah, I mean, it 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 is one of those documentaries where. Like I would watch it just to see, like, okay, like, well, what, it, how is it, like, what do they actually believe? Um, and the last, as of the overview of the documentary, the last thing it says throughout the movie, there are cutscenes to the a debate between uh, Fisher and Mike Papatoni, who is an attorney and radio talk show for uh, Air America Radio, which is a progressive talk radio show. Um, and he has a program called Ring of Fire. Um, and uh, Pop Antonio um, questioned Fisher's motives for focusing her ministry efforts on children. And Fisher explains that she does not believe that people are able to choose their belief system once they pass childhood. Wait, okay. what? Hold on a minute. Wait, wait. Let me read that one more time because that hit me weird. Hold on. It says Fisher explains that she does not believe that people are able to choose their belief system once they pass childhood and that it is important that they be indoctrinated in evangelical Christian values at a young age. Fitcher also explained that democracy is flawed and designed to destroy itself because we have to give everyone equal freedom. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm pretty sure that the Bible says you know, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm pretty sure the Bible doesn't give an age as to when you can no longer believe in God. Right. You know what I mean? Like, 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 don't get me wrong. Like, I believe if you, if you, if you raise a child to a certain way, if you want, if you want them to have that belief system and, you know, most people believe that, you know, I won't say most people. I think a, a good, uh, I don't know, maybe I think the last number that I read was like 42%, like 42% of the, 
of Americans are either leaning more toward an atheistic or uh, agnostic point of view, but the other 58% have a belief system, and that belief system ranges from anywhere between Christianity to Islam or some other type of religion in between. But, you know, um, for, for the most part, for the most part, I feel like, you know, you can, you, you can, you can believe something and there's people who never believed in God a day in their life. And then one day they, you know, they, they read something or they have a, they have a, they have a moment, you know, or they, maybe they go to church for the first time ever and then they learn about it and they want to learn more about it. And they, they make the, the conscious decision, you know, for themselves okay, this is what I want to believe. This is what I want to follow. This is what I want to learn. This is what I want to be taught and things of that nature, you right. know? And then there's also people who went there, who grew up in church, went their whole life going to church. And then they end up, you know, not believing in God or they fell out with it. You know, most people call them lapsed Catholics and, and you know, and that, or, or backsliders as some people have been taught, you know, but to shame or to shun or, do anything like that to somebody who has fallen away from, from Christ. Like that's not what Christ teaches. Christ teaches compassion. Christ teaches love. Christ teaches acceptance, but Christ also teaches, you know, judge not lest ye be judged. You know right. what I mean? He also preaches, you know, you know, you know, it even says, you know, God did not send his son to this world to condemn it. He sent it to save it, you know, that like I don't understand why people and, and again and, and again I'm going on my own little rant here and I'm not trying to I don't like discussing religion and politics on on on, on any of the stuff that we do like I have my own personal set of beliefs but for 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 this woman to say that she does not believe that people are able to choose their belief system once they pass childhood Lord forgive me for saying this but that's bullshit you are able to choose your life and their belief system at any age that you want, you know, it just depends on how much you want to learn and what you're willing to use that information for, you know, here's the thing. I, I, I think just the opposite of what, what she said. Okay. Uh, I, I don't think that at a young age, you are able to make that choice. Uh, okay. And and the reason I say that is because, it, okay, so you have, uh, you have two children, right? Right. I have two children, right? All they know is what you taught them, right? Right. Okay. <clears throat> I say that to say that they're not your son is eight now, right? Yes. Okay. He's not out doing any kind of research about anything, right? No, I mean, I, I mean, he's got a computer and he does the schoolwork, but I mean, that's just, you know, his schoolwork. But was, right. I mean, he's not going on the internet, like looking at Wikipedia articles and shit like that. No. Exactly. So he only knows what you've taught him. Right. He's not formulated an opinion about anything his his brain hasn't opened up to the 
to the thought process that what you've taught him could be wrong or right that there, or that there could be more to what you've taught him uh, right exactly and and so that's why i say she says that once you're out of childhood you can't make that decision and i think you i i am of the mindset that you can't make that decision until you're out of childhood right i think that and like I said before, I mean, like, yes, I do have my values and I do want to pass along those values to my children. But there's an old saying and it's and it's like this with every single denomination, every single belief system, everything. Chip, you've heard the old saying you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. That is correct. Well, here's here. Here's my equation to that. OK, there's a difference between leading that horse to water and giving him the option to drink. And then there's the other decision that you can make where you grab the horse's head and shove it into the water. That's not a good decision. You allow the, you allow people in your life to make the decisions for themselves. You see where I believe as an independent Baptist that like it's a, it's, it's not really, I, I don't, I don't like to say it's religious, from the standpoint that like it's more of a personal relationship. You know what I mean? You know, and I know people people hate that oh, it's a personal relationship. Like, it's my faith, leave me alone. But you know, it but it is what it is, you know. Like for me, it's it's some it's it's a personal relationship, you know, with my creator, my God, my you know, my my Jesus, you know. Now and again, in this just in the past couple of months, like my son has been asking me questions about it, you know, um, and I tell him the information that I believe in, you know, but I'm not going to force it on him because I believe that enforcing that on him, I'm doing him a disservice because I don't want him to think that, you know, oh, well. This is what my daddy has taught me to believe. So everything that's not what my daddy taught me to believe is evil and wrong and everyone should be, you know, dead or what? Because because here's the thing that you learn about in life, regardless of your faith, regardless of what you believe in, the moment you walk out in, of your house, you're in a world that has a plethora of faiths. That are opposite of you. A plethora of races that are opposite of you. A plethora of genders. A plethora of names. A plethora of orientations. A plethora of income. No one is going to believe the exact same thing. Even people within their own denominations don't believe the exact same thing. There are people who believe you should give more than 10% in tithes. There are people who believe in speaking in tongues. There are people who believe in being you know, more strict with their religion or more strict with their faith than others. You know, there are people who oh, don't wear blue jeans to church or, you know, or, you know, don't you know, make sure you, you always wear a dress. Don't wear a skirt. You know, you're not allowed to wear denim. You're not allowed to mix frat fabrics and all these different things. And my and, and again, I, I always go back to the same belief system. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm preaching to everybody. And please forgive me if you feel like I am. You know, you can fast forward through this if you don't want to listen. But my faith is all about one thing and one thing only. You know, do you love people? Will you treat people the way Christ wants you to treat people? 
Do you will you love people the same way Christ loved you? And that's it, you know. And you know, if you have an agenda to where you want to rid the world of everything that you, you know, but it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can't in one breath say you love everybody and then in the next breath say you want to shun everybody who doesn't believe what you believe because that's hypocrisy. I don't I didn't mean to go on a rant there, brother. I do apologize. You're you're good. You're good. You know, you know. I I, I have a little bit more freedom to to say certain things, you know. So that being said though, um we are gonna go to the very last documentary on the list, but before we get to the last documentary, watchmojodick.com did give two honorable mentions that weren't that did not make this particular list. Uh, one documentary was called uh, Titicut Follies. Um, Chip, have you ever heard of this one? I have not. Uh, matter of fact, let me. I got it. There we go. Okay, you got it. All right, go ahead. Uh, so it's an American direct cinema documentary film. Produced, written, and directed by Frederick Wiseman, uh, and it deals with the the patient inmates of Bridgewater State Hospital for the Criminally Insane, a Massachusetts correctional institute in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. The title is taken from that of a talent show put on by the hospital staff. Titicut is the Wampanoag name for the nearby Tatooine River. So yeah, basically it's about how the occupants of the of the Bridgewater State Hospital who are, um, and it talks about it goes into detail. It depicts inmates and patients required to strip naked in public, force feed, um, and. In diff, in inference and bully by many of the, and it shows them being bullied by hospital staff and and things of that nature. Um, it's 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 horrible. It, it really is. You can see a lot of people get very uncomfortable with it. Um, the movie was shown in 2020 on Turner Classic Movies for the first time um, since its inception in 1966. Um, so, and then the the, the other one. Uh, the other documentary that they discuss is a documentary called Lake of Fire. Lake of Fire is a 2006 American documentary film directed by Tony Kay that graphically depicts abortion in the United States. It features Norm Klomsky, Peter Singer, Alan Dershowitz, Nate Hilron, um, uh Randall Terry, and Norma McCovey, among others. Footage of Paul Jennings Hill, who murdered physician John, uh, Dr. John Britton and Britton's bodyguard, James Barrett, in 1994, was also featured. The documentary was filmed entirely in black and white, and it opened at the Toronto Film Festival on September, in September of September 9th, 2006. Um, it said that it was very controversial um, because it was all about abortion. And it explored the issues that divide the world. Um, and it basically, it was a cross between like, it, it was like religion and abortion, anti-abortion violence, uh, the laws of abortion, the debate on it, um, things of that nature. Um, so there's that. So with all that being said, let's jump straight into the last one. This last one's kind of fucked up. Go ahead, Bubba. 
All right. Next up is uh, a documentary called Capturing the Freedmen's. Okay. So this documentary is made up of home video footage of the Freedmen's, a seemingly perfect family whose story takes a dark turn when child pornography is discovered. Arnold and Jesse Friedman, a father and son who taught computer classes to local children, both eventually pled guilty to sexual abuse, but something doesn't quite add up. Capturing the Freedmans received a great deal of acclaim for its ability to portray what Roger Ebert deemed the elusiveness of facts. Yet filmmaker Andrew Jarecki faced accusations of playing it safe by never taking a stance, which allowed him to take on heavy subject matter without facing the consequences it had for the film's subjects. Um, yeah. I've heard of this one. I've never actually watched it. Have you heard of it or I, seen it? I, I've not seen it. I have heard of it. Um, it, it actually uh, was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature in 2003. And some of the Freedmen's alleged victims and family members wrote to the awards committee protesting the nomination. Their identities confirmed but protected by the judge who presided over the court case. Uh, yeah, so... Um, The synopsis of of the film, it says that the investigation into Arnold Friedman's life started in 1987 when the United States Postal Service intercepted a magazine of child pornography, pornography received from the Netherlands. In searching his Great Neck New York home, investigators found a collection of child pornography. After learning that Friedman taught children computer classes from his home, local police began to suspect him of abusing his students. Now, the Friedmans were allowed to stay at home in order to prepare for court and took numerous home videos while Arnold Friedman and later his son Jesse awaited trial. The videos were not made with publishing in mind, but rather as a way uh, to record what was happening in their lives. The movie shows much of this footage, family dinners, conversations, and even arguments. Arnold's wife, Elaine, was unsure of her husband's guilt and advised him to confess in order to protect their son. And she... <laughs> she uh, did eventually divorce him. Uh, Now, Arnold Freeman did plead guilty to multiple charges of sodomy and sexual abuse. According to the Freeman family, he confessed in the hopes that his son would be spared prison time. Jesse Freeman later confessed as well, but claimed he did so to avoid being sent to prison for life. He said in mitigation that his father had molested him. And according to Jesse's lawyer, Peter Pano, who visited Arnold in a Wisconsin federal prison, Arnold did admit to molesting two boys 
but not those who attended his computer classes. He is also quoted as claiming that when he was 13, he sexually abused his younger brother, Howard, who was eight years old at the time. Howard Friedman interviewed in the movie says he does not recall this. And Jesse Friedman in subsequent statement said that his father told him and his brothers that he had sexually abused Howard. Uh, now, uh, Arnold Friedman did die in prison in 1995 by suicide, leaving a $250,000 life insurance benefit to Jesse. Uh, Jesse Friedman was released from uh, New York's Clinton Correctional Facility in 2001 after serving 13 years of his sentence. Currently, he is running an online book selling business. Okay. Um, so it is not clear whether uh, Jesse Friedman actually uh, molested or, or, or assaulted any of these um, young children. Right. Uh, it, it it does say that he he did confess, so he wouldn't spend life in prison. Um, right. Now, having watched tons and tons of documentaries and seen you know tons and tons of of movies where stuff like this happens, it is very possible that he was quirked into a confession. Um, yep. To, to kind of alleviate his sentencing plea bargain, pretty much. Right. Um, so I will leave him out of this. Okay. And, and talk about Arnold Friedman himself. He originally pled guilty so his son would be spared prison time, but then later confessed to multiple accounts of uh, sexual abuse. Including uh, his eight-year-old young brother. Right. Uh, so he, when he was 13, he abused his eight-year-old younger brother. He uh, abused his son, Jesse. Um, he abused uh, two this, other yeah. boys. So, uh, so there's four that, that we know of. You want to say it or you want me to say it? Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. And I mean, he's dead, and I I will never uh, wish ill will upon anybody. He killed himself. He obviously killed himself for a reason. He was feeling guilt. Um, probably a, had been. He couldn't live with what he did. That's well, what it boiled down to. He couldn't live with what he did. Well, there's that. Um, but he also probably was. Uh, Big Bubba's bitch in prison and probably couldn't handle that much longer either. Probably. Um, yeah. But I you, feel, you, you kind of feel for you kind of feel for Jesse in this situation because 
if he did absolutely nothing wrong, which we don't know, you know which we don't know, but let's just say, let's just say just for the sake of argument, Jesse is innocent, is innocent in this whole thing. You spend 13 years of your life inside prison for, for, for what, for a man that didn't really give a shit enough about you to say, I did it. You had nothing to do with it. You know, like, you know, the, the only good thing that came out of this fuck suicide was that he did get $250,000 to Jesse, you know, right. so, and then, but after 13 years in prison, I mean, I mean, how do you adjust to life after being in prison for 13 years? Right. You're programmed at that point. You know what I mean? So, ironically enough, like, it says that there was also, um, David Freeman was also in this film. Yeah. Uh, and he is known by his more professional name, um, Silly Billy, who is, he is a professional magician and clown. And he's been, um, uh, he, he, he authored a long running column in magic magazine entitled turn it around magic for the whole family audience. Um, and his last thing, he was in Super Size. So it says K adopted his surname in the 1990s. K registered his surname K with the uh, Screen Actors Guild Union for his stage name, but due to David Freeman being registered with 27 other individuals in 2003. Um, so he, so I assume he changed his name to David K. He was born David Freeman, but he changed his name to David K. I'm going to assume because there was a lot of backlash and negative connotation to the name Friedman at that point. I, you know, I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt that yeah. at all. Right. Now, the only Friedman that people give a shit about these days is Maxwell Jacob. <laughs> mm, yeah. Man, maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, <laughs> yeah. So... Out of all the documentaries that we discussed this evening, which one did you find the most interesting in terms of like, mm, I want to seek this one out and watch it? Uh, what was that one? Um, so I, I, I will say, I will start off by saying I, I need to go back and watch the Iceman tapes. Uh, yes. Bo both of those. Because... It has been a while since I watched them, um, but it was oh, uh, going in clear Scientology in the prison of belief. I, I put that down. I wanted to watch that. Um, I want to watch the thin blue line about um, Doctor Death per se, right. uh, and then. Uh, you know, I may may watch capturing the Freedmans, but I'm not sure about that one. Right. So, uh, for me, um, Citizen Four is obviously one that's up there. Um, but I mean, because that one was interesting because of the the real world implications of it. Um, right. Then Blue Line did does sound like something I would watch. Um. The original catfish, I'm not, you know, I do want to see the Iceman tapes again, um, just because it's just, it's chilling, but it's also like, it, it, it's almost like a, it's psychological in a sense, because you're like, man, how can someone really think that? You know what I mean? Um, obviously, going clear of the Scientology and the prison belief is one that uh, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, the, the Kurt and Courtney 
uh, documentary because um, I've seen Soaked in Bleach. Right. Um, but I wanted to see the documentary of Kurt and Courtney. Um, I want to see the second Super Size movie. Uh, Super Size movie, The Holy Chicken. Um, yeah. That's one that I want to see. Um, uh, Jesus Camp. Like, I would watch Jesus Camp just to see, like, what it is. Because, because again, like, I haven't seen this documentary. I can, I, I can only go by what I've read. Um, but it's something that I would watch and see if I if I agree with everything or if it's like, no, nah, I'm not going to – no, I can't do – I can't agree 100% with what you're doing, you know, because you ha- – because, you know, like, you know, kids are supposed to be singing, you know, Jesus loves the little children, not, you know, getting yelled in their face about the fiery pits of hell. Like, let the kid enjoy being a kid gradually build up into the, the relationship with Christ, you know. Difference, you know, but like I said before, and ladies and gentlemen, again, we didn't mean to get all preachy on this episode. I didn't personally mean to get all preachy. And I do apologize for that. I know you guys don't like to hear about, you know, personal, you know, religious beliefs and politics and stuff like that. And I do apologize. However, you know, it's my podcast. It's, 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 it's me and Chip's podcast, Roger's podcast. You know, we talk about what we what we believe, what we like, what we enjoy and uh, hope you guys enjoy it, too. So. There you go. Hopefully. I hope no atheist. I uh, uh, hope I didn't piss off any of our atheist listeners out there. If you're an atheist listener, you know, God bless you. Thank you for listening. Um, that being said, though, we have a whole lot of crazy stuff coming down the pipe from Movement Radio. Um, Chip, anything you want to say before we bounce out of here tonight? Oh, as always, check out movementradio.us. That is your one-stop shop for all things Movement Radio. Absolutely. Shout out to our good buddy Sean Thompson at Thompson Personal Training. Shout out to Jerry and Jennifer over at the Chronic Conversation Podcast. Andrew and Sean over at the Warrior Workout Network. Uh, shout out to our good buddy Ivan Montanes. Check out his Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Demon, And our good buddy Sean with Should I Watch That? That should be a pretty good... I actually... Uh, listen to it the other day. Uh, can't remember what movie it was though. I have to go back and have to go back and listen. Um, but uh, but shout out to him. He's doing good stuff. Um, a lot of like like what we said before. A lot of cool things we got coming down the pike. Um, you want to give any kind of because I I sent you a couple of uh list already. Anything the viewers can look forward to upcoming, or you want to kind of keep that in the dark for right now? Uh, let's keep let's keep that in the dark for right now. Okay. Uh, because I think they're going to be interested and surprised all at the same time. Actually, you know what? That's a good, good way of thinking. I like that. That being said, ladies and gentlemen, and once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Thank you so much for all the love that you guys have given us over the past couple months. Dude, 19,000 downloads. We could not have done that without you guys. Thank you so much. We love you, and we'll see you guys next time right here on Movement Radio. Chip, let's hit them with the outro. Please do not leave without leaving a like, comment, share, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Follow us on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Check out the YouTube channel and subscribe. Click that bell to get notified of our latest videos. And once again, check out movementradio.us. I am Chip Hazard. And I am Talon Williams. And this is Movement Radio. God's plan.